Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on Donate What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today is officially a national Nerd Sesh holiday because, Logan, we are no longer diving into the theoreticals. This is no longer off-season content. We have real NBA basketball to talk about. And boy, are we excited. So, Obviously, there is going to be an abundance of games today. There will be a bunch going on throughout this week. We will talk about all of it, but today we're going to start by just breaking down what we saw in last night's action. Two pretty fun games overall. We saw Lakers-Warriors at the nighttime. We saw Bucks-Nets to get things started. Personally, I thought that Dubs-Lakers was the much more interesting of the two games, so I say that we start there. What were some of your biggest takeaways, some of the most interesting things that you saw in that one? Uh, my biggest takeaway has to be that, you know, I don't know how confident I can be in my finals prediction, at least from out west for the Lakers. Like, we're going to need to see just major adjustments. And, you know, obviously, Carson, with this kind of roster turnover, with all these new faces in Los Angeles, you can expect growing pains. You know what I mean? And so it's going to take time. You know, we're going to need a couple months, genuinely, of lakers basketball to really get a read on what they are i mean there's been turnover every single year and it has taken a while to see what this final product is going to become but i don't know how you can watch that game last night and be confident in the lakers formula whatsoever i mean there are a myriad of issues and of course we can start with the one that you laid out before the season started with russell westbrook it didn't work it didn't work last night you can look at the numbers eight points five boards four assists and four turnovers but you can watch the game and it's like Carson Ross looks like he is with Russ looks like he is without a purpose out there. Like he's genuinely purposeless. And that's with minutes with LeBron and AD. There's too much cluttering in the paint. Russ can't get downhill and drive in because AD and Dwight Howard are down there. AD and DeAndre Jordan are down there. Or AD is just down there. You know, the spacing is an issue. Russ is being utilized off ball and is a horrid catch and shooter with LeBron when the ball is in LeBron's hands. Like like and, and when Russ does touch the ball, Carson, he doesn't even try to get downhill. He doesn't try to get to the paint. He was taking a couple of dribbles and dribbling 
you know, three feet into the key and then going, oh, shit, I got to pass the ball back to LeBron. Like, you should question the fit. You should be really worried about the fit. And last night I was hollering during the game. The Lakers should have traded for Buddy Heald because they just need another catching shooter. And those are with minutes with AD and LeBron. Without, they're running Russ alongside Rondo and... They're utilizing Rondo as a catch-and-shooter. They're utilizing Russ as a catch-and-shooter. Like, for me, Carson, whenever Russ is on the floor, the key to me and what Frank Vogel has to do, you cannot have another center along AD. AD has to be running the five when Russ is on the floor, or AD just has to be on the floor and you have to have a traditional five. And you have to have, at a minimum, two catch-and-shooters on the floor at all times. If that's Mello, if that's Bazemore and Ellington, and I know Ellington didn't suit up last night, it's going to take a lot to make this work, Carson, and I am not confident whatsoever in my finals pick after watching this game. It is going to take a lot of proving from this Lakers roster, and again, I don't want to overreact. I don't want to get too overzealous because I believe in the star tandem of LeBron and AD, but this was a very underwhelming, a very underwhelming opening night for the Lakers. Absolutely, and I don't really intend to overreact to one game in any context. I think that it was very predictable, obvious, and effectively inevitable that there was going to be an adjustment period here, that there was going to be ugly games because of the kind of talent that they are trying to sandwich together. And it may be awkward, but I think some people will hold out hope that, hey, by the end of the year, they will figure this out. Definitely not the start, though. But if you were going to visualize, as a Lakers fan, all of your worst fears for how this team could look. I would imagine that this is pretty much it. And you mentioned just the ineffectiveness of Russ off ball. There are possessions where it's just like dudes are playing hot potato kind of because you have non-shooters as far as your best players go who are in positions where they're asked to be spot-up guys. But then outside of that, you just have a lot of star players doing what they are not best at because they are all trying to accommodate each other and they're saying, okay, we can't attack downhill every time. First of all, it's too crowded, but also we don't want to be taking away from whatever one of our teammates' opportunities there. And it just results in guys who need to get downhill to be effective taking bad shots. LeBron took 17 shots outside of the paint in this game. He took two shots at the rim. He was actually really great as a jump shooter in this game. We saw some nasty face-up jumpers, fadeaways. He was 5 of 11 from deep. But... We know that he can do that in stretches. We also know that that is never when he's going to be at his best. He needs to be that aggressive force coming downhill. And sure, it's night one of the regular season. But I just think when we see that version of LeBron, we're clearly not seeing the best version of him. Then you have AD, who takes 12 shots outside the paint. And was at times a little bit relegated to that role of being either a spot-up shooter, which he's just not very good at. He was 26% from deep last year. Or he's relying too much on the face-up game because he's playing alongside a traditional center still for a majority of his minutes, which is ridiculous. Russ took seven shots from 15-plus feet. He made a grand total of one of them, and I'm pretty sure that it was a hideous bank. I think that was the 15-footer that he hit. So, again, it's just forcing guys to play in positions where they are not even close to their best, and that has been the concern with this team. It's that they can't all complement each other. They can't all be in their best roles at the same time, and this was, again... The just absolute real-life visualization of it, this is how it looks, and it's not very good. And they need to figure out some things big-time rotationally. They need to figure out a way to be more dynamic offensively. They need more spacing out there. And I will just say, playing AD alongside a center 
is just ludicrously stupid. He played 17 minutes with either Dwight or DeAndre Jordan in this game, and the Lakers had an offensive rating of 88 in those minutes. It's one game, I know, but it's intuitive because it's restrictive and it's ugly and it forces AD out to the perimeter in a way that he doesn't want to be or in a way that he's not at his best. And it's just the offense, again, can get ugly. Russ had a few really nice takes. He's just not seeing a whole ton of clean paints. LeBron didn't even try it. I just think this was, again, the nightmare game for the Lakers, and it was exactly everything that we anticipated would be a problem was a problem in this game. And it's not that Russ tried to go take over or anything. I actually think he wasn't overly aggressive really at any point in this game. He ends up with 13 shots. I thought that AD was honestly the most aggressive player offensively for the Lakers in this one. But the thing with Russ is that he didn't have that time to just kind of go out there and be himself. He played 28 minutes with LeBron James, and he played 28 minutes with AD, and they all played kind of heavy minutes in this game, but that's just a lot of minutes in which he is not really empowered to run the show, nor should he be. He needs to have those minutes attacking bench units, and if he doesn't, you're just not going to get the best version of Russ. So, yeah, man, everything that we talked about, everything that it was like, hey, this could be problematic for this team, it really was in this season opener. And I completely agree on the on the Russ point that you have to run him with the bench unit. And again, like, that is how you can create great offense. Like, I don't know, man. The Lakers shouldn't view it as... What I think, the, what I think Frank Vogel and the Lakers need to understand is you shouldn't look at, you know, what star talent are we putting out there. It needs to be what lineups work together and how you can win individual minutes. Like, that should be the goal here. And putting Russ out there with three good shooters off the bench and a rim-running five like a DeAndre or a Dwight Howard will win you minutes off the bench. And if that is relegating him to less minutes with AD, to less minutes with LeBron, whatever, whatever gets you wins. Like, again, you cannot have LeBron taking that many jump shots. Again, he was successful, but you need him to get downhill. You need AD to barrel in the paint and bully those matchups. Like, I know that Russ wants to be in the starting line. Like, and I'm not saying relegate him to a six-man, but you need to have less minutes for sure with LeBron on the floor. Uh, excuse me, with Russ and LeBron sharing uh, minutes on the floor. Off that too, man, it's not just that like Russ didn't work, and I think Russ was by far the biggest issue, again, with his catch-and-shoot issues, with the spacing issues, negative 23-plus minus on the night. It's the other guys here too, Carson. I was stressing this during the game. What the hell is Carmelo doing, bro? Like, there were a ton of possessions where Carmelo was just like, all right, man, this is my possession. I'm putting up a shot. And like, I don't know, man. Carmelo's also going to have to relegate himself a little bit and reel himself in, I think, and play within himself. That's a lot to ask. It's just is a frustrating first night. And I think if they gotten a little better catch and shooting, the you know, it's probably a closer game, but that's probably going to be a consistent issue all season long. But these issues are fixable, and that's the point, I think, here with the Lakers. Like, what I'm saying is, if they run their lineups the right way, it's going to take a really specific one, and if that means really cutting down minutes where LeBron and AD and Russ share minutes on the floor, I think you can make it work. It's just going to take a lot of fine-tuning and a lot of adjustments from Frank Vogel. Man, I just think Frank Vogel, to me, has not indicated that he really knows what he's doing with this talent. Like, again, playing DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard, 17 minutes with Anthony Davis, almost half of his minutes, is 
like negligently stupid. It's unbelievably dumb. Those guys aren't giving you any production offensively in this game. They are just clogging up the paint. And I just think that I know that they don't have none. They don't have Ellington, but Carmelo Anthony cannot play 26 minutes a game for this team. You sound surprised that Melo liked every single shot that he saw. I don't know how you could be. That's Carmelo Anthony. I think that Kent Bazemore playing 31 minutes a game. I mean, sure, he's a competitor and he's a solid enough shooter. He was 40% from deep last year, but he is a wild basketball player. He is unreliable. He is not an advanced offensive player. And if they intend to be taken seriously, they can't play him 30 minutes a night. I also don't know why Avery Bradley isn't getting more time. I guess that he just got there. Maybe that's part of it. And I know that his last couple years of basketball haven't been the prettiest, but when that dude is shooting 36% from deep, I mean, he is probably the best straight-up wing option on this roster. And I think that when he did get into the game, he actually was pretty effective. So there's a lot of fine-tuning. And yes, some of this can be approved upon. But a lot of it, I am really, really skeptical of. A lot of this is fundamental conflicts in skill sets between your best guys. And I don't know, dude. The LeBron settling thing, I shouldn't overreact because it's game one of the regular season, but it's exactly what we saw in the playoffs, and then we attributed it to injury. But it's just, he's gotten better there. He's dramatically improved as a jump shooter, but it's just not when he's at his best. AD is what scares me more, though, because... We know that AD is already mm-hmm. a little bit too reliant on the jump shooting. And if you tell him, hey, well, we need the paint clear for us. We need the paint clear because we're playing you at the center. That just gives him more of an excuse to go one of five from deep in every single game like he did in this one. And like getting 13 combined free throws from AD, LeBron, and Russ versus 20 attempted threes. Very telling, man. That's not how any of these guys want to play basketball. And yet... Because they are all there, it's like they're overdoing it in the other direction where they all have to spend way less time outside of the paint because it's just never really clean. I want to ask you on the point you made about LeBron and him you know, relegating himself to a jump shooter. I mean, you don't just attribute that to the clogged up paint. Like I just figured that that was kind of what he had to do because you're running AD in another five. I think that's absolutely a component, and that's what I'm saying. I think that that's largely why he's settling. It's that it's a lot of clogged paints. I also think that there's an element of body preservation that factors into all of it. Yeah, I agree with that. Let me ask you this. So if you were Frank Vogel, you were the coach of the Lakers, what adjustments are you making? What is your starting five? And what like, what like major adjustments are you making immediately next game? Look, if Frank Vogel had a brain he would not start DeAndre Jordan for another game in this entire season. I would start on the wings, given who they have available right now, maybe Bays and Bradley, but I think that at full strength, they should be starting Ellington and Avery Bradley on the wings, and then they should start their big three, and they should heavily stagger the Russ-LeBron minutes. And even still, dude, I just don't know if I see the path to the title for this group. Like, I don't think that it's impossible but I don't think it's probable right now. They are fundamentally flawed. And again, I don't want to overreact to one game. I just don't feel like I am. This is everything that I expected, and we saw it. And by the way, they were not all that impressive defensively in this game. And that, to me, is a little bit concerning. And you haven't lost a ton of personnel there, but you have lost some competitive wings defensively. You've lost an Alice Caruso. And 
I just thought that the Warriors were able to move the ball very successfully around the court. They were able to create open looks on the perimeter. They were able to attack and transition with guys trailing and whatnot. I did not think the Lakers were all that great as far as transition defense goes in this game. And if they're not a top five defense, they are not a true contender. Like, that has to be their identity. Two years ago, that's what got them there. Their offense caught up to their defense, but it was their defense that was among the best in the regular season and then again in the playoffs. Last year, their defense was elite throughout the year. They just didn't have the offense to match it. But if they don't have that defensive identity, if they don't have that top five unit on that end, again, this is not a true contender. And I'm not getting there because it's one basketball game, but it was not an impressive basketball game. I completely agree, and I think that's why you have to, as you touched on, I think you have to give Avery Bradley more minutes here. Again, he got one catch-and-shoot attempt, knocked it down, and then he was one of their best competitive defenders on the floor. And while you may have not lost a lot, you did lose Caruso, and you subbed him out for Carmelo Anthony, who is not going to give you a whole lot of effort on that end. For Malik Monk, who is, yeah, he's going to try, but like... No, he's not. No, he's not. Malik Monk superfan Carson Rebber says he's not. Like, you're exactly right, Carson. If the Lakers do not have a top five defense, not only are they not a championship contender, they don't have an identity. They're just, they're lost. On that, though, how can you not be impressed with the Warriors, dude? Oh, my God. Like, I was just happy for one reason that the Warriors pulled this out because the Lakers fundamentally played ugly basketball. That was not fun to watch. At points, I wanted to gouge my eyes out. Like, watching Russ back down a guard halfway into the lane and then kick it back over to LeBron, it was ugly. On the other side, the Warriors are just playing some of the most fluid basketball I've ever seen, dude. It was beautiful. Like, the ball movement is impeccable. And what I thought the Lakers made a, a an issue in, I, just fundamentally, a lot of times they were double-teaming Steph up at the top of the key. Like, that's exactly what they want you to do because Draymond is going to get the rock immediately and he's going to find an open shooter. Like, I don't think people realize, like, the Warriors won here by seven. I want to give my dad credit. He literally called that exact score uh, before the game. The Warriors could have dropped 140 on the Lakers' heads had they just been knocking down open shots. Like, they were just not knocking down shots here in the first half, and they... Caught, they got uh, they got hot as the game went along. Like, Steph had a horrid game, like 5 of 21, maybe like the least impressive triple-double I've ever seen. And that's another component of why this was so impressive. The damn near MVP of the league last season did not play up to his standard, and you still pulled out the dub convincingly. Like, I don't know, man. Like, this was... Honestly, Carson, at this point, I'd rather... Again, this is one game... With how fluid this offense was, with how stout they were defensively, even with the interior presences on this Lakers team, I'd rather take the Warriors out of the West at this point because offense is going to come easy to this unit all year long. When Clay comes back, be scared. Be scared, man. Like, you've got a guy in Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, three guys who can get you 20 a night easy. Draymond just makes this thing go. Carson, I think you were right in preseason about the Warriors, dude. I was way too low on this team. I do not know why I expected the offensive regression here. This team is going to be stout defensively. I think, again, potentially top five, and I think they're going to easily have a top 10 def- uh, top ten offense this year, dude. 
the Warriors were just fluid, man. Offense just came easy. Again, against what is supposed to be one of the best defenses in the league. And I think that what they have corrected here is not that they've added overwhelming talent. It's that they have found their identity again. And this is what Carvel talked about in the video that he made about the Warriors. They have basketball players. They have smart veteran guys who can do multiple things for you well and who understand how this whole thing's work, how this whole thing works. Having Iggy back, you know, maybe he's not going to be exceptional shooting from deep, but he's just another smart presence. And I think that already he looks more valuable here than he did in Miami. Like, I just think that this is a situation in which he's not exceptional, but his skill set is maximized again. But I think that the standout of the day, unequivocally, was Nemanja Bialica, dude, because I have been a Bialica guy. I have loved his shooting. I thought that it was strange how little he actually played last year. And I honestly didn't expect him to be a major component in this rotation. But he is just a perfect Warriors basketball player because, sure, the floor spacing is great and we know that he can shoot 40% from deep, but he has a fundamental understanding of how to move without the ball, of how to make decisions. Like, he is dissecting people off the short roll. He is attacking off the bounce a little bit, but looking to pass, looking to playmate, because I think he knows he's not going to explode by a whole ton of people and finish at the rack. Like, he is just making reads, dump-offs, kick-outs, impressive stuff that a lot of big men can't make. And I think that he has always shown that he's a solid passer, but he's never been utilized in an offense like he can be utilized here because it has always been, hey, you tall guy, can shoot, go stand three-point line. And I think that the Warriors are going to look at him and say, hey, you're a legitimate decision maker. You can pop, you can roll, you can short roll, you can dissect defenses, you can cut, you can spot up, all these different uses that are just going to bring his game up to another level. And I think also... He's going to be important for this team playing center minutes because we saw they tried to play some ridiculous lineups last night because they're down James Wiseman, obviously, who's their center depth. So you have like one true big man, one center on this roster with Kevon Looney. And I think that clearly the best way that they were able to survive defensively was playing Bielitsa at the five. He's not going to be outstanding. He doesn't have great physical tools, but he's competitive and he gives you size, and he gives you effort. And so if he's going to do all those things, man, he was plus 20 on the day. I think that he understands Warriors basketball. I think he was a dramatically undervalued asset, and I think that even I undersold what he could really bring to this team because I got caught up with some of the other shiny new pieces, some of the wings, obviously, the rookies. But this is just a dude who has valuable skill sets that really matter here. He had 15, 11, and 4 on the day, for those of you who don't know. Could have had a couple more assists. Created a couple of really good shots that didn't fall. Played 26 minutes. I mean, he was clearly among the five best players to take the floor for the Warriors in this one. And that's just really valuable, dude, because you said it, man. This offense is flowing, and it's not that there's an overwhelming amount of creation, but there's enough now that Jordan Poole is at the level that he has reached, and it's just so much of the movement creates the offense. It's not Kelly Oubre isolating up top. It's not Andrew Wiggins every time isolating up top because he feels that pressure to create. It's smart guys moving the ball, moving without the ball, and it's just how the Warriors have always been meant to play, and they are back to that identity. 
Yeah, you don't. You're exactly right. You don't have a whole lot of uh, overly dominant creators, but you have a an abundance of smart decision makers. And I think what really makes the Bialitsa edition really terrifying to me, Carson. Look, you're always going to lose with Bialitsa at the five. You know that straight up rim protection, right? But if you can force missed shots and just get the rebound, the Warriors are going to be one of the best teams in transition this year. Like. Bielitsa was making good decisions out of the short roll um, in the half court. In transition, the Warriors are menacing. Because if you've got Draymond at the four, uh, Bielitsa at the five, Iggy at the three, like, all of those guys are going to penetrate the paint, draw attention, and kick out to find another shooter. And then that guy's either going to put up that shot, kick it to another shooter. Like, the Warriors' offense is just... It's a machine, and I am so glad we were back to that machine because, like, I can't stress it enough. It's beautiful basketball. It is just pretty to watch. It is guys being completely unselfish, making good decisions, looking for other guys to eat. And I think you're exactly right, man. Bielitsa fits that mold, and he's just a good decision maker. Like, again, in transition, he was finding guys, getting up the floor. I, I'm, I'm absolutely ecstatic. You talk about how we could have had more points put up. I think we have to talk about your six-man-of-the-year pick, Jordan Poole. Uh, we were watching the game here, and guys were crapping on Poole because he was clinging shots early. I don't care. They were wide open. They were good shots, and he was generating them off the bounce, off the dribble by himself, and off catch-and-shoot opportunities. And you saw, as the game went along, he found that stroke, and he started just knocking them down like... To me, Carson, I think you're right in preseason. Jordan Poole is the X factor for this team and can completely just change the dynamics. When he was running with bench units, he was eating guys up. Like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm jazzed, dude. I'm juiced just because the NBA season is back, but I'm also juiced because we watched, we watched championship Warriors offense. And you don't think so? Do you think I'm a little far in making that stretch? Like, Carson, I just don't think. I don't know if there's an offense that is going to be... I don't think there's another offense that can be as fluid as the Warriors in the entirety of the NBA. No team has this many unselfish superstars, unselfish, smart decision makers, and knockdown shooters. Well, see, I think there's an important distinction between the two things you just said, because they don't have superstars. They have one superstar. Mm -hmm. There is unselfishness. Nobody's going to be this fluid offensively, maybe, but that's not what makes single-handedly for great offense. I mean, Steph and Draymond. Draymond's not obviously a superstar, but he's definitely a superstar in that, like, you know what I mean. Sure, but they've had those guys, obviously. I think that this is a high-level offense. Maybe it would have looked championship level with Klay Thompson out there. That's what I, that's what I mean, bruh. Okay, they didn't have Klay Thompson, though. So I don't know if you can say it's championship-level offense when we haven't seen it all together. I think they're a really good team. I think they're going to win in the 50s. This is what I've been saying, like... They are really good, and Jordan Poole is a crucial component of that, and he has the ultimate green light. There is hardly a shot that I will look at from him and say, hey, don't take that. And he was 4 of 11 from deep. Some of those are trailing in transition. Some of those are off the bounce. He also got to the cup a couple times, had a nice finish, had maybe another one or two that could have gone at the rim, actually made a couple of solid decisions, which is good to see from him because he's always had that scoring skill set these last couple years, but it's about that playmaking too. Of course, he's going to be highly successful for the Warriors this year. Anybody could have told you that who's been playing, who's been paying close attention to him and his development, and we saw that realized in this one. So I think it's a really good team. I think that there are still some things to be figured out rotation-wise. 
Obviously, Kaminga's not healthy right now. He will be soon. I think that at this point, dude, I hate to say it, I don't know if we need the Juan Toscano-Anderson minutes. Like, I just think this depth is so improved, and JTA is a guy who does a lot of little things, but at the end of the day, when you have somebody who's so hesitant to shoot, like I said this during the game, but Steph kicked to him wide open, and the ball went right off his hands, and I was like, that's because JTA is already thinking about how he doesn't want to shoot the ball, and he's so psyched out, and boom, he can't even execute the play there. 29 minutes from Damian Lee was a little bit wild in this one. I have been pretty lukewarm on Damian Lee. He played a good game, undeniably gave you 15, hyper-aggressive, hyper-competitive, and maybe more ready to play now than a guy like Moses Moody. Moody looked a little bit nervous to be out there. He only played six minutes, but he got three shots up. I thought they were all good looks. He had a nice drive off the bounce when AD closed out on him pretty hard, and then he missed a couple of mid-range jumpers that I thought were good looks. I want to see more Moses Moody selfishly, but I think that they have options here. They have depth. They have guys who can play both ends. They have guys who can play, make, and shoot, and even if it's not, again, talent of the caliber of what they had three, four years ago, five years ago, it is the same kind of basketball fundamentally, which you could not say over these past two seasons, and that is really significant. So, look, I don't think that this really changed my opinion all that much about either team. Like, <laughs> I kind of feel like this is what I expected for the most part. I expected to see these flaws from the Lakers. I expected to see this progress from the Warriors. I was very impressed with Bielitsa. We'll see if he can sustain that, but I do think because of the playmaking and shooting, his floor is just really high. Like, I don't know how he could fail in this role whatsoever. So... I was impressed, man. I think this is a really good two-way team in Golden State, and I think that they're going to win 50-plus games, but I don't think that they have a championship ceiling still. Trick. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on the GTA point. I don't think you should be there. Obviously, now that you've added in like Otto Porter Jr. to the foray and you've brought Iggy back, run those guys at the four in those minutes, like, they're going to be more competent, especially against, you know, fours or fives in those switches, because, dude, when JTA was out there, they the Lakers weren't even, like, trying to dance around what they were going to do. They dumped it into Anthony Davis every single time, and he just cannot compete on the low block. If you are going to give JTA minutes, I think you have to play him at the three, right? Do you think he's too, is he too flat-footed to, to defend threes? Like, like, what do you think about that? No, not at all. He's got good feet, but he's 6'4", and they're trying to play him at, the four in stretches like those are some of the ridiculous lineups I'm talking about where when they don't have wise men when they only have one center and he's just very eh in Kavon Looney they have to get creative but I do think they found something with Bielitz at the five with or without Draymond out there like I think that that is a competent lineup defensively at the very least so yeah this is really rewarding I think for the Warriors and for Warriors fans because everything that we anticipated has come to fruition. The offseason additions have paid off. I think that it was pretty clearly a successful offseason, but like you just look up and down this roster, dude, and you have three really important bench guys in this game who were not on your roster last year. I thought that Bielitsa, Iggy, and Otto Porter Jr. all had their impressive moments, and uh, again, I think Bielitsa was the star of the day. So that, to me, was the more interesting game of the day. I will give one more stat about the Lakers here. They had 34 points in the paint, dude. Like, they just, they've screwed themselves, man. 
Like they really have. They have gotten to the point where they have so many dudes who need to attack the paint that nobody can attack the paint. Like it's ridiculous what they have done to themselves. And uh, I still think that, sure, there's value in adding talent, of course. And I don't think that they had probably a championship roster given this year's outlook with the roster they had last year. But, man, you say it, dude. Buddy healed over Russ. I don't know. Basketball is just about having guys who can complement each other, having synergy. And that's how a team like the Warriors beats a team like the Lakers, where, sure, the Lakers can have two MVPs and another guy who's been first-team All-NBA and Anthony Davis and Jordan Poole and Nemanja Bialica may be among the top four players for the Warriors, but if the guys complement each other, if they understand how to maximize their skill sets, then they will find success. So, again, I think there's some rotational stuff to be drilled down, but it was an impressive debut, and the Warriors are going to win a lot of games this year. And if Clay is out there in however many weeks, they're going to be that much better, and Jordan Poole has unquestionably arrived. So with that, Logan, let's move on to the game that actually happened first. Bucks nets kind of an interesting one. Ends up at 23 points being the margin. That felt a little deceptive because the Bucks pulled away in the fourth, outscored the Nets by 11 in that period. At the same time, pretty consistently led by seven plus points. Didn't really pull away into that final stretch though. So what were your takeaways from this one? Uh, I'll start with my boring takeaway, although I do want to, I completely agree. Uh, This game was a lot closer than the final score does say. Like, I never felt at a point that the Nets were out of this game until the Bucs starting just laying and firing down threes late in this game. You know, it always felt like the Nets were clawing within reach. They'd cut it to nine, they'd cut it to eight, and the Bucs would hit another three. And that's the beauty of the Nets. Like, I don't think you can ever count them out of any game. Again, even late down the stretch when the Bucs were hot, it just felt like the Nets were a couple made threes away um, to, you know, get back in this game. I'll start with the boring one, and that's just that on the Nets side, I think this defense is an issue specifically against a guy like Giannis, and they really do need to find that guy to stop him. And then just Giannis is unstoppable, and I'm super confident in him as my uh, MVP pick. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, we gave praise to Nick Claxton um, for what he did in the playoffs last season. I think Nick is probably one of the better defenders that you're going to find out East that can, you know, help against Giannis, but he's just unstoppable. Um, Giannis consistently just drove into the paint, and the, the, the formula works for the Bucks. They shot 48 threes in this game, Carson. Giannis just has so much gravity on the interior. He's drawing so many doubles, and everybody on this roster can shoot. Like, that's the beauty of it. No matter who is out there on the floor, if Giannis is there... You're going, to con- you're going to create the two most consistent shots in basketball, and that is a attempt at the bucket from Giannis or a wide-open three. And again, shooters all over this floor. Grayson Allen getting minutes and knocking down his attempts, competing on defense. Pat Connaughton getting his three-point attempts and knocking down shot or uh, competing hard on defense. And my guy, whoo, a nerd sesh favorite, Jordan and Wara, dude. He is definitely not in like the 3 and D caliber of a Connaughton or Allen. I just don't think he's there defensively yet. But that dude is a spray can, man. He is just a shooter. And, you know, we saw it in the Olympics. Uh, He was one of your favorite guys out of the draft. We saw it in college. You put a shooter alongside Giannis, and it is going to be money. And, like, Brooke Lopez was knocking down shots. Like, I feel like I'm stating the obvious because this is what we saw last season. This is what we've seen consistently from this Bucs team. They create a lot of threes, and they create a lot of shots at the rim. 
And again, against bad defenses that don't really have an interior presence, like I think that's what the Nets are missing, man. I think they really need a five who is, and maybe that can be Nick Claxton as the season goes along. They need, I think, a stronger interior presence for a potential playoff matchup against Milwaukee, even if it's just another one, because when Claxton isn't out there, you're asking James Johnson to go on him. Please. You're asking Paul Millsap or, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge to go on him. That's not going to work. But uh, to me, the obvious takeaway, Giannis is an awesome pick for MVP. I think he could easily repeat. And the Bucs just, the Bucks just create the two easiest shots in basketball or the two most efficient shots in basketball, easier than anybody else in the NBA. So, you know, I, again, I don't think there are any major takeaways to say all oh, the Bucks are this much better than the Nets. Bucks are just consistent. They've got a formula that really works against anybody. Of course. And that's why they've been, over the last three years, the best regular season team in basketball. And I think that actually our guy Carvel Teft put it pretty well in the the written piece that you can find on nerdsesh.com. That's right. We have a website now, all of our podcasts, all of our video content and written content, nerdsesh.com. Go ahead and check all that out. But as I was saying, our buddy Carvel came out with a piece today and his first takeaway was that continuity was rewarded in this one. And that very much felt true to me. There was just an effortlessness with the Bucks where it was like they step into the fold and they know what they're doing and they know how things are going to flow. They understand the hierarchy even the new guys, super easy to integrate, like a Grayson Allen. I mean, he just has such a natural complementary skill set, and I thought that he was really good. I mean, he's been a really good basketball player, but the playmaking was nice for him, the defensive playmaking, and he knocks down three triples as well, understands his role. And then even some of the role guys, you know, it's like they're bringing back George Hill. It's not really like he's new here. So it just flowed really well for the Bucs consistently. And you said it, man. There is no question that in the regular season, night to night, Giannis is going to manufacture those easy looks for everybody else. The question is just, is there that playoff defense that can step up and make him uncomfortable and take that away and force Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday to be those crucial primary initiators and facilitators? Or can he do what he did to the Suns last year, where, of course, they still need production from those second and third guys who were so up and down throughout last year's playoffs, and I think that'll probably be forgotten long-term because they got it done, but Giannis just gives you 40 a night, and his gravity is so overwhelming. I don't know. We'll see if somebody has an answer to that, but I do think that when we were talking about our contenders, we may have just by a product of, oh, they just went out there and did it, not discussed the Bucks enough because... There is an element of uncertainty that exists with every other conceivable contender, the Nets, the Heat, the Sixers, if they were able to figure things out, the Bulls, if you have them in that tier, that does not exist for the Bucs. Nothing is changing for them, and I think that they've really just kind of fortified the depth of this roster because they lost P.J. Tucker, obviously, but if you look at their bench in this one, they're playing some weird guys. I mean, Tanasis played 12 minutes in this one. We saw Sandro... Uh, Mamukelashvili come in, who's a really weird NBA player and was kind of a weird pickup for them to begin with. Part of that is, though, they don't have Bobby Portis right now. And the three legitimate bench guys to me, who we will see going forward, were pretty darn good. George Hill actually wasn't in this game, but I just have faith in him to be consistently productive. Connaughton was exceptional. We know this guy can start on a title team. We've seen him do it, and he gave him 20. And then it's like you said, dude, Nwora 
is a guy who we highlighted before this year and said, maybe he cracks the rotation, maybe he's valuable. We did see him ball out throughout the offseason, put up some gaudy numbers, even in summer league, super inefficient, but he was scoring a lot of points. And there's never been a doubt about whether or not he could shoot the ball. He's a tall guy who can get that shot off whenever. It's a fluid motion. He can do it off the catch. He can do it off the bounce. He's got a bag off the bounce too. And I think that he is in the rotation. I think that he is their ninth guy. So not a significant member of the rotation with Bobby Portis there, but a guy who they can plug in and a guy who gave them 30-plus in an actual NBA game last year. Like, he is a gifted offensive player. He's a gifted shooter. And so the takeaway for me was just the Bucs know what they're doing, man. And there may be nobody who looks smoother on night one of the regular season than the reigning NBA champions who have this core that they have sustained that they haven't tried to mess with. And it just worked. It just looked easy for them in a way that it didn't for the Nets, in a way that it didn't for the Warriors. Like, I understand that the end result was good for the Warriors and they did what they did in spite of an off night from Steph. But the first half wasn't always beautiful basketball from them. Like, there were rough stretches. And the Lakers, obviously, it was a walking rough stretch. So the Bucks were the exception there and they looked really good. And they're absolutely a contender out East again, of course, and maybe should be the favorite. Yeah, I mean, they've got the, you know what, like you said, you know what you're getting with the Bucs. They're the best 3 and D team out in the East. And that's, when you have questions about the Nets' defense, yeah, maybe they should be your favorites out East. Um, I want to touch on a few points. Drew Holiday was not out there for most of this game, got hurt pretty early on, and again, they just almost didn't even matter. Like, Giannis just put the team on his back, kept rolling with it. I want to talk about... uh, Oh, Sandro, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. I'm not as smooth with the, you know, this guy's... Mamukelashvili. Get a load of this guy. I stumbled on it on the first take, though. I was actually upset. I should never stumble on a last name ever. Go ahead, one more time. Mamukelashvili. Smooth, smooth like butter. That guy got cooked like two or three times on the perimeter, and I think that's where he has to grow like the most in his game, obviously just getting switched out. It's been a strength of this Bucks defense for a while. And like, dude, he looked... <laughs> He gen like like Juan Toscano Anderson uh, shooting a jumper. He looks scared to having you know being forced to guard Harden. Like you could just tell, and like Harden was licking his chops, man, just licking his lips. He's like, I'm gonna cook this dude, and he did. He banged two like easy little step back threes. Sandro was way out, had like a foot of space between him and Harden. Um, so I think he has room to grow there. I also I don't think he's really that great of a role man yet. I think the reason they got him though is in college, he shot three threes a game in his junior year. He shot four threes a game in his senior year. Um, Junior year, he knocked him down to like a 42% clip. Senior year, he knocked him down to like a 34% clip. So what's the perfect asset to have alongside a guy like Giannis at the four? uh, And, you know, an amazing slashing four. You put that floor spacing big alongside him. And so maybe down the line, he'll be able to, you know, do that at a decently high level to where you can give him minutes alongside Giannis just offensively, because defensively, can't really get vertical. I think he's got a lot of room to grow there. But um, offensively, I think there's room for him to grow and actually play somewhat of a role. Maybe not even this season, maybe in a year or two, though. First of all, I love the multiple-minute Mamu Kelashvili take there. The one other thing that I would say that he does well is he's a good passer, and he can put the ball on the floor a little bit for a guy of his size. But, yeah, he's a weird player. He's a limited player. And guess what? He is not going to play for the Bucks this year in, like, I wouldn't think almost any other context. So, it was smooth sailing for the Bucks. They know what they're doing. A little bit different for the Nets. 
And I think that my biggest complaint about what we saw from Brooklyn is probably just the rotation that they went with in this one because I have been a guy who has endorsed their role player talent. I think that Blake Griffin, who I was skeptical of when they acquired him at the deadline last year, or they bought him out, I was skeptical of that. But he clearly showed that he could play a role for them at a high level. And I have been a Nick Claxton guy, and he was good in this one. I have been a massive Bruce Brown believer. We did not see Bruce Brown in this one. And so I just didn't like how they handled this. I didn't like the guys who were getting significant minutes in this one. I think that James Johnson playing 21 minutes is stupid. James Johnson is not a good basketball player. Like, I think that he gets, I don't know what he gets. The benefit of having been on some good Heat teams when he was a little younger, the toughness factor, the quote-unquote versatility I don't know. He plays hard, but he sucks. Like last year, his teams were eight points per 100 possessions worse with him out there. He shot 26% from deep. He's a non-shooter who thinks he can do too much. And look, if he's taking the ball out of Cam Thomas's hands, then I'm pissed about it. So I didn't like that. LaMarcus in his 16 minutes looked not so great. Javon Carter, dude, I like, but again, it's all relative to expectations. And if he's playing 19 minutes over a Bruce Brown, I don't like it so much anymore. He's competitive. He can shoot the ball well enough, but if he's not hitting his shots, then he's just kind of a small guard out there who's competitive. But again, that's not a difference maker, whereas Bruce Brown can be. He can create for himself. He can really facilitate. He can defend multiple positions. He can roll. He can cut at a high level. He can fight on the glass. I just don't understand why that guy's not playing minutes. Like, didn't he prove that he was a starting caliber player for them last year? Like, they had great success with him starting. And now you say he's not playing? And, by the way, this bench unit outside of Patty Mills needed perimeter creation. Like, look at the guys who got on the floor. It's James Johnson, who is just this, again, ugly wing kind of 3-4 hybrid, I guess. It's LaMarcus. It's Paul Millsap getting in there for a little bit. It's Javon Carter, who can't beat anybody off the bounce. So why are you not putting a dynamic talent like Cam Thomas in the game? All right? I understand, Logan that maybe there is still room for refinement, and we saw in the once he got in that, yeah, he wants to do his own thing, and he wants to handle the ball as long as he wants for whatever length of a possession, and he wants to get up his own shot, and like he's going to kind of do his own thing, but he's really talented, and to me, the best thing you can do is throw him into the fire, let him get into midseason form by midseason, and then by the postseason, you have a real impact guy who can give you double-digit scoring. And I think that we just saw immediately once he got into the game, dude, he can handle, he can get himself a bucket, like everything that he did in college, everything that he did in summer league, everything that he did in the preseason. All that dude does is get buckets, play him over, again, James Johnson, Javon Carter for all these minutes. Did not like the rotation. And honestly, I just don't think Steve Nash is all that good of a basketball coach. I ended up going with him third for coach of the year, but I just think it's because that award is so much more based on team performance and narrative than it is about the ins and outs of coaching and rotation and schematics. It's like, hey, your team did better than we expected. Your team survived adversity, whatever. I think the Nets could do that this year, but not a rosy start as far as just playing the right role, guys, to begin with, in my opinion. No, definitely. Um, And yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think that had to be your biggest gripe uh, coming from Brooklyn in this first matchup. They desperately needed... Like I just I just didn't understand the rotation from from night one, bro. Like 
it's almost Carson. I, I came away feeling uh, like the bench just needed more creation, and that's why I think Cam Thomas can play a huge role on this, uh, you know, in this rotation during the entirety of the season. Like Patty Mills got you twenty-one, and that was kind of the only reason that this game was close heading into the second half. He had banked five threes, had not missed. Like you just need other creators, man, and. Yeah, dude, I, I'm still scratching my head about the rotational decisions. I'd slow down on the James Johnson uh, hate just because he can kick your ass. So I'd I'd slow down. Look, dude, if James Johnson found me and beat me up, that would be hilarious as long as I didn't die. I don't know, dude. I've, I've heard he's killed a few guys. Like, that's the only reason James is out there. He doesn't... Honestly, basketball-wise, I don't know why James Johnson is getting minutes. He doesn't do anything for you. He's... I guess because he's tough, like you said. Because maybe if there's a fight that breaks out, he's the guy that I'm ducking behind and he's going to swing for me. But 21 minutes to inefficiently guard Giannis and just get big-bodied? What are you doing to play Bruce Brown 4 and Cam Thomas 3? Steve, you're asking to lose. Foolish rotational-wise. I think that, although, Carson, I will say, I think there's a huge burden on Harden and KD to put up 30 a night for this team to just drag them over the finish line. Harden gets himself 20, like, decently efficiently, but it's like it wasn't an outstanding James Harden night. Joe Harris is also a little bit off, just wasn't knocking down. You know, you need that guy to be an absolute marksman, knocking down all of his shots. If there's one thing that this reinforced, and Carson, we talked about this a lot during the game, KD is still the best pure scorer in basketball. That, in my opinion, has not changed. It is just so effortless. And again, during the down the stretch, bruh, gets to the lane, gets to the lane, mid-range jumper, it's in, it's in, it's in. And he missed one that, like, I felt could have swung the game. You know, it was like a, a 10-point game, and it just rimmed out, and I thought they really needed that to fall to just keep the momentum going. But KD is a beast. He's, again, I think he's the best bucket in basketball. It just came so easy in this game, no matter who they stuck on him. I'll let you touch on that, Carson, because I know that he is your MVP pick. I'll let you go into the uh, depth of that. I am worried about this Nets bench and Steve Nash just figuring out this rotation. Again, we're going to have to wait and see when he plays Bruce Brown 28 a night, when he plays Cam Thomas 20, when he gives guys the right burn to really make a you know, a definitive take on this Nets squad. But night one, I was extremely underwhelmed by this Nets bench and Again, without Kyrie, without being always to have one of those stars on the floor to just generate easy offense, again, there's a bigger burden on Harden and KD to play damn near perfect every night. I agree. Until they let Cam Thomas do his thing. And until they add a little more playmaking out there with Bruce Brown. Like, I just thought it was mismanaged. I really did. I do think we have to shout out from the bench Patty Mills, who was obviously exceptional. And, like, you're not going to shoot 7 of 7 from deep every time out. But he did show how dynamic of a shot maker he is off the dribble, off the catch. And we've kind of known that. I mean, he's been among the best pure shooters in basketball for a long time. But nice to get a little reminder and nice to see him in a situation where he's going to be contending again. When it comes to KD, yeah, this was kind of what I expected from him in that he was in that hyper-aggressive mindset. Took 25 shots, ended up with 32 points. And I just think he's going to go nuts this year, man. Because, like you said, not only can he, he needs to. Like, they do need this kind of offensive creation. And that was just one thing that I felt was kind of missing in this game. It's that there wasn't a whole ton of 
great facilitating or ball movement, which last year, the Nets, despite whatever expectations you may have had for a team with these ball-dominant guys, they moved the ball really, really well. They created a ton of great looks for shooters, and they had great shooters who could capitalize. This one, I felt like it was a little bit more stagnant at times. It was super dependent on KD and Harden, like you said, but KD did go out there and get buckets, man. He got to the rim easily, like easily when he wanted to, and also we all know what he's doing as a pull-up jump shooter, and I just thought... That's a man who was on a mission, and we are going to see that mission for this entire year. Harden, I thought, didn't play a great game. And yeah, there's going to be a large burden on them every time out. But what I just think they kind of need to figure out is how to get enough shooting around them at all times and how to have that creation in the minutes when they're not both out there. And frankly, I just think they should stagger their minutes heavily too because KD in this game was in that score-first attack mindset but I think he also can easily channel when he needs to. Okay, I am a point forward. I am an offensive engine. I am a bucket first, but man, can I dissect you out of the pick and roll again? It's what we saw against the Bucks last year when there was nobody else out there creating offense. He can do that, but when he's alongside James Harden, I don't think he feels that same burden to. And so I'm just saying, yeah, you want them both out there together, of course, but I also think that you do probably need to stagger those minutes unless, of course, Cam Thomas goes berserk. Can you just mention Cam Thomas and like every team that we talk about? Like not even when we bring up the Nets. Like when we're talking about like the Nuggets in a few days, can you just like be like, you know, it'd be nice if they had another great pick and roll jump shooter like Cam Thomas. I'd love that. Yeah, well, I mean, the Nuggets have sort of a player in a similar mold and Bones Highland, just not quite as good as Cam Thomas. The Lakers wear purple and gold. So did Cam Thomas. The Clippers start with a C. So does Cam Thomas. <laughs> that was elite. There is another thing about this bench unit too, Carson that I think we need to talk about. And, and, and another reason I want to emphasize why I talk about Katie and Harden having that extra burden is because the Nets are not going to play extremely hard defensively this season. And again, they're just going to need to simply outscore and outshoot opponents. And again, I think when you look at teams that are constructed similarly to the Bucks, when the Nets don't create an abundance of three-point shots and knock them down, this is how you lose. Like, the Nets allowed them, what, like 20 more threes than they attempted? You can't let that happen if you're Brooklyn. You have to outshoot teams and outscore them. Again, that's stating the obvious, but that's how they're constructed because you're not going to lock up defensively. But, yeah, I think there's more of a burden there because I don't think you can expect elite defensive play. Also, another reason why you should be playing Bruce Brown, Steve. Swiss Army Knives bring you some defensive value as well, but... It wasn't there, man. Again, we talk about Aldridge and Millsap getting minutes, James Johnson even. Like, they're just kind of lumbering, slow, non-agile guys who aren't really going to, you know, stay super locked in and even be able to get out there on the perimeter, especially on shooters like Milwaukee has. So, I think that's another hole that they have to fill, not just creation off of the bench, which, again, I think uh, Cam Thomas can fill. But I think they need another guy in that respect. So, I would... Like, genuinely, I don't know who is interested in these assets. If you could, I'd somehow, like, I just don't like these guys on the roster. I'd somehow see if you could move off of Millsap or Aldridge or Johnson or Carter for just guys that fill more important roles that you're going to need come playoff time. You need you need three things in my eyes, Carson, to, to really solidify this bench in specific roles. And that's another defensive rim protector and rim runner just to help Nick Claxton, just to help him out a little bit. More, knock down three-point shooting, which, again, I think you can you can never have enough of. I said three, four, actually. Guys who are versatile defensively, who can crash the boards and also lock up um, out on the perimeter. And then 
just more creation. Again, dude, Patty Mills outside of Harden and KD is your only creator because you're not playing Cam Thomas. Obviously, Cam Thomas is going to dominate when he gets over. He's going to average 30 points this season. But like that being said, bruh, I think those are four roles that they needed to fill instead of getting three really old lumbering guys off this bench, and you you can't play them a whole lot of minutes if you're going to keep them around. And again, Javon Carter doesn't really do anything. Like, yeah, he's a nice 13th guy to have on your team if somebody gets hurt and you need a little bit of everything. There are just a lot of roles that the Nets are lacking. They just don't have guys that I trust in right now. And another thing, not to just rag on Javon Carter here because I do like him. I mean, I've been a fan of his. I love dudes who are dogs. I love dudes who compete. He was minus 29 in this game. Single game plus minus. It's not the be-all end-all, but he was not good in this game to begin with. And I don't get why the Nets moved on from Landry Shamit. Like, why are you just sort of moving on from a 40% volume three-point shooter like it's nothing? Because it feels to me like they really could have used another guy like that in this game, even though he's not creating off the balance, and even though they shot the ball from deep really well in this game. They were 17 of 32, which is part of why it's so crazy. The Bucks beat them by 23. They just needed more from the perimeter in any capacity, dude. I don't want to see James Johnson playing 21 minutes a game. LaMarcus, 16 a game. You know, he looked, actually, I thought, better for the Nets last year once he got in there, and I thought that he had, again, a little bit of an extra pep to his step. He was kind of playmaking. The shooting was fine. Athletically, he looked okay. But it was not a great debut for him. Coming off the health issues, obviously, the guy is also old as can be. We'll see if he can be a legitimate contributor for them. But I think that what this clearly showed us is that the Nets have a more difficult path to the top than the Bucs. The Bucs know their path. They just did it, and they can replicate a vast majority of it. The Nets have to fine-tune some things. They have to find that rotation that they really believe in. They have to find that ability to compete defensively, at least by the postseason, which I think that they will. They need to rely heavily on KD and Harden, but they also need to find those other creators who can bring you some balance. And I just think that they probably can do that. Like, it is going to be an adjustment period, and it is going to be a big burden on KD and James Harden, but those guys are equipped to handle it, and I still love the talent around them. I just think the most important thing, dude, with your bench, to me, is just having shooting. Like, I just don't... Again, I, look, I'm not going to say it a million times, but I don't like playing James Johnson when he's not going to reliably knock down a catch-and-shoot jumper for you, and neither is LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, it's just a problematic balance that they have going right now. But it's one game... I still believe in their talent. Lord knows I'm not changing my finals pick or anything like that after one game. And you aren't either, right? Maybe it didn't look great for the Lakers, but you're going to ride with your guys. Yeah, I'll stick it out. I mean, again, like I said, I think I still need another... Give me a month. Let me really see what Vogel is going to do with this rotation. Let me really see what <laughs> what Russ is going to look like. And then I'll make a final distinction. No, it wasn't pretty. But again... The Lakers played an ugly game and lost by seven to a team with a really good defense and a really fluid offense. And again, they look like dog shit. So, like, no, G give me a little bit more time and we'll, uh, I'll make a final judgment call on, uh, on the boys out in LA. Yeah, they also lost by seven to a team that had Steph Curry go five of 21, though. So I feel like that kind of goes both ways. Yeah, valid point. I also want to touch on, uh, one last time about the Nets bench point. Like, uh, I talk about the roles that they need to fill. I think I just should have mentioned this earlier. 
Cam can fill that playmaking and creation role out on the perimeter, and they need to let him do that so he's ready when we get later in the season. Just get him adjusted to this game because it's going to come easy. You just need to give him time to be a little inefficient, to make his mistakes, and get adjusted to the game. They have another guy who can fill that defensive big role with Nick Claxton in Dayron Sharp. And again, like, I just, Carson, I just don't see the upside. You know what you're getting with LaMarcus Aldridge. You know what you're getting with Paul Millsap. And again, I'm not saying like Dayron is some, but he's a big body. He's a great rebounder. And when you lose a guy like DeAndre Jordan and you are lacking for big men who can fill that very simple role, Dayron's a guy who can play right now and do that really effectively. So I just think, give the young guys minutes, give them some burn, let them get adjusted to this game. Because again, the roles that you need to fill and you don't have got all these guys are old and do not do this at a very high level. So let the young guys get some burn, let them learn the game, and let them be ready when it comes playoff time so they can be genuine contributors. Look, their bench was old, slow, unathletic, rigid stylistically, but I don't think that has to be the case. I think they have the talent. And Logan, look, we've talked about Cam Thomas plenty, but he was on the floor for four minutes and your jaw dropped one time that he crossed the dude. Like, I think he actually kind of lost the handle. He didn't get anything good out of it, but the dude is skilled as can be. All right. Well, Logan, for us, we're eight minutes away from the tip-off of the rest of the NBA games today. If you're listening to the podcast, you're not watching live, then guess what? Games have probably already tipped off. What are you most excited for to see? Because we've only seen four teams. Just give me one thing that you're really looking forward to. Because we'll be back within a few days. I mean, we will do another podcast on Saturday morning. We'll react to a whole bunch of this stuff. I'll be active on the Twitter. You can follow me at Carsobi, dishing out my thoughts. I should have something written by this weekend. I'm going to try to have a video this weekend. Like, trust me, there will be no shortage of NBA content from us about what we're about to see. But what are you most pumped for? Ready to see my Kings play. Come on, bro. I'm ready to see Davion hit the floor. And if we can change the defensive culture here in Sacramento, I'm excited, man. We bring in Tristan Thompson. We bring in Davion. I think you're going to see just a more upbeat. We're still going to play fast pace, but I think we're going to lock up a little more, and I think the culture is going to change here in Sacramento. I'm also I'm just excited to see a Nikola Jokic pick and roll again, bruh. It's so satisfying. I don't care who's got the ball in his hands. If it's Monte Morris, if it's Will Barton Jr., if it's MPJ, even though I know he's going to take three dribbles and put up a really contested jump shot. I'm excited. I'm just excited basketball's back, man. Book it, bro. Nuggets are a contender again when they are fully healthy with Jamal Murray. I'm not saying that they're the favorite. I don't think that they are, but they are a true contender. And honestly, I might like them the second most of any team out West. I might like them more than the Lakers, especially in a matchup with the Jazz. So obviously I'm excited to watch that. I can't wait to watch Laurie Markkinen at the three. Boy, that's going to be the best, isn't it? That's apparently what the Cavs are actually considering. They're thinking about starting Markkinen at the three with Mobley at the four and Jared Allen at the five. That is a team who knows how to just mess things up, even though they have added a lot of talent, man. Oh, I really hope that they don't mess that all up. But lots of good stuff, lots of fascinating teams to look for here. I can't wait to see the young guys. I can't wait to see this rookie class. I cannot wait to watch the Bulls. Preseason was impressive, but it's a little bit of a different game now. I cannot wait to see the Heat and their new look. I can't wait to see the Hornets, see how much they've improved see Anthony Edwards and the T-Wolves, dude. That's one of the teams I'm most excited for. Like, here we are, man. We have arrived at that magical time of the year and can't wait to go through it all with you guys. So, hope you've enjoyed this one as always. We shouted it out at various points throughout this podcast, but 
We have plenty of content for you guys, especially now that the NBA season is getting going. Go ahead, check out our website, nerdsesh.com. That's where you'll find the written content. That's where you'll find, again, whatever video and podcast content that you may have missed. You can also follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram is at nerdsesh. You can listen to the podcast if you're watching on video on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your audio content. You can also watch the podcast live on YouTube. We go live twice a week, generally do three shows a week in total. So stay tuned for all of that and really just have a blast because basketball season is here and it is fantastic. So with that, as always, I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.